You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'm glad to see that there's been, I'm never going to get that right, there's been a lot of feedback on um, a couple of the different issues. Because like I said yesterday, there's not a whole lot that's going on. In particular, there's a lot of questions, comments, concerns regarding the uh, franchise tag. Apparently, this is a very big deal, and I can always tell when I strike a chord, um, hit a nerve, whatever, when the responses are just never-ending, like just one after another, what about this, what about this, I think we should do this, and it's just... So we'll get there, but I want to start in kind of a roundabout kind of a way. And I haven't had a ton of time to think about this because it was posted six hours ago in the uh, Packernet Podcast Facebook group. But I think it can help us kind of lead into just generally thinking about things. So this question is from uh, Robert Sanford. He says, I was thinking about what Ryan said throughout the year when it came to Dylan not playing as much and how the coaching staff trusted Jones and Williams more, which I 100% understand. What I don't understand is letting these guys walk. Right there, there's already something to think about. Not just in terms of the words that he said, but when you look at the fact that, listen, there's two ways to look at this. There's the general theory and philosophy that, that, you know, pundits will say, that especially analytics nerds love to say, never pay running backs. That isn't necessarily what teams have been doing. It's just the theory behind what you should and shouldn't do. And so from, from the what you should and shouldn't do theory level, which again is theory that we as fans and analytics nerds have made up, not necessarily theory that teams employ. But if we come from that standpoint, it's very simple. We drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. People hated the pick, but the pick was just there because, well, it's it's there to secure us in the future because we're going to be losing one, possibly both running backs. He ended up playing really well, so now you look at it and you see how much these guys are going to cost, at least Aaron Jones, and you think, eh, never thought that furnace would shut off. Jeez, I cannot wait for, I mean, it's I, I already kind of surprised that it kicked on. It's so warm lately. It's like 40 degrees, dude. It's basically summer. I actually might turn this up a little bit now that we don't have to hear the background noise. And so everything's there. And in fact, you look at it and say, this is this is the opportunity for Brian Gutekunst to look brilliant. Because instead of being in a really bad situation of not having a running back, we could have an absolute stud at running back in a year in which we lost both our starting running backs. That usually doesn't happen unless you've got a real stud GM. And so a lot of us, myself included, have just kind of written that down, like that's just what it is. And as far as Aaron Jones is concerned, 100% in my mind, that's what it is. I know people love the guy, but zero running backs in the history of the universe are worth $15 million, and apparently that's kind of in the range that he's supposedly at. But again, what doesn't make sense, thank you very much, Alarm, why did the Packers offer him supposedly like 12 to $12.5 million? That doesn't make sense. Why did they do that? And so if we drop out, you know, the, the theory and the idea that, well, you just don't do that, and the Packers would never do that, despite the fact that teams do it constantly, right or wrong is not what we're talking about. What are the Packers going to do is a separate question. And so I don't, I don't think the Packers will meet the $15 million that he's asking for. But I do find it strange, and I do think it's a valid question, 
when you factor in the Packers are trying to bring him back. And we know that for a fact. We've seen reports of that. They've offered him contracts. He fired his agent because things fell through with the Packers. They can't fall through if there's no talking going on. And so the Packers are, we already know the Packers are willing to do what we supposedly think you're never supposed to do, which is to pay a running back. Even if it's, okay, it's not 15, but it's only 12. That's still too much. And again, why when you have A.J. Dillon? Why are you doing that? And why didn't you play him last year? What is going on here? And, And the assumption that, well, he'll be better in the second year, you don't know that. Some guys are good as rookies. Some guys break out in their second year. Some guys break out in their third year. Some guys just never figure it out. Jay Sternberger is a guy that I'm starting to wonder if he's ever going to figure it out. He, for, for all the talent, for all the things, I mean, as early as he was drafted and everything else, he cannot get himself on the field. Undrafted free agent Robert Tunyon is our, is our guy. 57-year-old Mercedes Lewis is on the field. Rookie Josiah DeGuara started day one over Jay Sternberger. And so, again, we can play this game where we just assume everything's always going to get better. Well, next year, 100%, he's going to break out. Okay, dude. Or maybe they just never will. And I'm not saying that necessarily about A.J. Dillon. I'm just saying we can't automatically say, well, he's going to be a stud next year. We know that. There's a reason they didn't play him. And maybe just being super raw and he still doesn't know exactly what he's doing or where to go, but, hey, he's still going to bulldoze for four or five yards and occasionally get a breakaway run, and that's good enough with us. I mean, I've been banging the drum because whatever he was doing, with whatever whatever he's missing, I'm okay with it. If he never gets any better than he was last year and just does that every single game, I, I mean, how could you be upset with that? But again, it's still a valid question. Why didn't he play? The only, the only thing I could think, which doesn't really make any sense, well, because he's going to be a workhorse for the future and you know you're getting rid of uh, Jamal and Aaron Jones, so run them into the ground. Except you're trying to win a Super Bowl, so that doesn't really make sense. Now, there is a middle ground here. And the middle ground is you let Aaron Jones walk, you sign Jamal Williams, and and you have A.J. Dillon on board. Jamal is going to cost significantly less. I don't know how much less. I, I mean, again, as a human being, I love Jamal. He's, he's my kids. Him and Devontae are my kids' favorite players. You can't not love Jamal. But if we're going to shut off the fields and just think from a business standpoint, I'm not going to give him very much money. I'm just not. I already like A.J. Dillon as a running back more than I like Jamal Williams. He's shown more promise in his first game than you saw for Jamal until basically year, what, three? So I guess all I'm saying is let's not dismiss our options here. Let's not be, and I'm primarily speaking to myself because I've already, you know, like with a lot of things, I've just this is just a done deal. Preston's getting let go 100%. Well, eh, he might not. Devontae's getting extended for sure. Mm, we'll see. I mean, you know. We'll see. They don't have to do... I mean, he's signed through this year. They don't have to do anything for quite a while. And a lot of times they wait until the start of the season. I, I'm just thinking in terms of they need money, so why wouldn't they do it now? But who knows? That may not come. Rogers getting restructured has always been skeptical to me, but there's reports. And again, what exactly is a report? People call everything a report. Reports that they're working on it. Nine times out of ten when you see a report, it's not a report. It's a reporter saying that this is what they should do, and then somebody says there's a report that they're doing this. No, there isn't a report that they're doing this at all. So, again, in theory, this is, this is so simple. To me, it's so simple. But you can't let go of the reality that the Packers seem hesitant with A.J. Dillon. They seem to really, really love the guys that they have. They already tried to pay Aaron Jones, and um, there might possibly be something there. It's also worth noting, and again, how much I buy any of this stuff, who knows, 
But Miami Herald's Barry Jackson reports there's mutual interest between the Dolphins and impending free agent Aaron Jones. What exactly does that mean? I don't know. There's there's rules in place in terms of contacting people or whatever. So how much mutual interest could there possibly be if you're not allowed to even contact free agents right now? What does that even mean? The only possible way you could verify that is if you contact them individually and ask is their interest. So if this, uh, what's his name, Barry Jackson has a contact with um, Aaron Jones, let's say his agent, and Miami's whoever, and when you, you know, work in Miami, I'm sure you get a contact here and there. It's not impossible, but it's also possible that he's only saying that because he's in Miami. He called the one contact he knows that happens to be a Dolphins contact. It says, hey, do you guys have any interest in Aaron Jones? And they give some kind of vanilla answer, like, you know, we're going to keep all our options open. And if you think a guy wouldn't run with something like that, look at how much publicity this is getting. It's everywhere. Aaron Jones via Barry Jackson, mutual interest with the Miami Dolphins. I don't need confirmation from you. I just need you to not deny it. And I'll, I'll run with this. Interestingly enough, if you read the, um, the article in which this is cited by Barry Jackson, an article that he wrote... He says this is all via a league source, meaning he got it from one source. Who's who? So this is third-party information. Somebody else made this connection? Somebody told him? So now now we're adding a layer of the telephone game to this? I just, it doesn't mean anything. And and in reality, of, of course, it would be surprising if they weren't interested. Anybody that needs a running back that has money would be considering this. The Dolphins need a running back. The Dolphins need to build around their quarterback to try to make that a thing. In any way possible, and adding a running game is going to help out Tua. So, I, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but at the same time, if the Packers don't sign him, he's going somewhere. So, you know, whatever. I'd be happy to go see him in Miami. I think it's a team that would appreciate him. I think it's a well-run team. I mean, it's it's Miami, so that's cool. But anyways, this leads into the uh, several objections that, that I've heard, and it was in regard to franchise tagging. And the two names that came up were Corey Lindsley and Aaron Jones. I mentioned yesterday it's very unlikely a team uses a franchise tag. I mean, just it doesn't happen all that often, and when it does, it's usually a massive number for a really important position like quarterback, um, edge rusher, whatever. But as you think about Aaron Jones, it again, based on everything we've talked about, it doesn't not make sense, especially if, let's just say hypothetically, we're a little concerned maybe A.J. Dillon isn't quite ready yet. And so we're willing to add one more year of Aaron Jones. I mean, he's getting older. As I said, 26 years old is about the the peak for a running back because those guys take a beating. So after about 26, you start to see a slight decline. Aaron Jones right now is asking for $15 million. The tag for a running back is eight. The Packers already offered him 12. Now, I, I don't, there's so much that goes on with a tag that I don't really understand because. I mean, and I don't want to un- understate it or overstate it, I guess, but there definitely seems to be a very negative connotation to tagging a player. And I can understand why. This guy is about to go out and make $15 million. If we tag him, we're taking money right out of his pocket and saying, we're not letting you leave. I'm not going to come to terms with what you're worth. I'm refusing to pay you what you're worth, and I'm ref- refusing to let you leave. And if he gets hurt while under a tag, that's going to ruin that this locker room is going to absolutely hate Brian Gutekunst and is going to have a bad taste in their mouth regarding the Green Bay Packers. And free agents and, and other players are not going to want to come to Green Bay. Nobody wants to deal with that stuff. People want to be 
respected and, and treated well. I understand it's a part of the process. I'm just saying you can't get away from the fact that that's a reality. Players get very, very angry about that stuff. $8 million is a decent chunk of change, but it's half what he might be able to get on the open market. Now, if we set all that aside, though, it's it's a borderline no-brainer. Again, if you're willing to pay him 12 why would you not be willing to throw $8 million at him? And again, you get him for one more year. Um, we're, we're still trying to chase that ring. You have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon as a, as a duo and as a you know, a backfield duo, and it's just a fantastic duo. You can kind of draft maybe that the next Aaron Jones in the fourth, fifth round and have a year to develop him. You let Jamal walk. To me, that kind of makes sense. And then the next year, you let him go. And you hope that he gets through healthy and he finishes really strong and he makes a ton of money. And we take basically a year to ease him back into things. Again, I think the only real big negative there outside of losing an additional $8 million that we desperately need for a running back, not need for a running back, that we need which happens to be going toward a running back. You know what I'm talking about. The, the, the biggest negative is going to be the, the reaction, especially Aaron Jones, because he's such a good dude, you know? He's so liked in that locker room. He's about to go out and get big-time money. Everybody's happy for him. Even the fans are, are, as sad as we are, very happy that he's going to go out and get massively paid. And, and again, he doesn't have that much time left. Very, I mean, unless you're Frank Gore, you're playing maybe until you're 32. Maybe. Because running backs, again, they take a beating. And generally, they just don't have as much of a shelf life as some other positions. I mean, even offensive linemen you see going into their mid-30s. Wide receivers can go kind of, you know, I don't think they're necessarily taking a beating. I just think it's such an athletic position, you kind of lose a little bit of that athleticism, which hurts you. But there's a limited window for him to make money. And if we take even one year away from him, that's going to hurt. His age, any injuries, even if his play slightly regresses, that's going to hurt him. But it is an option. There are, there are two other reasons why a guy would get tagged. One of them is is you really want to work on a long-term deal. We've seen this with other teams where we basically just need an extension. So we're going to tag you and continue talking with you. Um, we're tagging you essentially so that you don't get picked up in free agency because we're not done with you yet. We want to continue negotiating. I don't really think that's the case as far as I know since the negotiation has dropped off. I don't know that anything is kind of picked up. In fact, that's kind of leaning me closer and closer toward he's just long gone. I think they had their window of trying to negotiate with him and that's over. But that is an option. The third option is a tag and trade. Essentially, they're looking at the situation and saying, look, you are uh, worth quite a bit and we want to get in on some of that compensation. Now, we're still going to get plenty of compensation. As much money as he's going to be making, we could get as much as a third-round pick for Aaron Jones. I don't necessarily know that somebody would trade an additional, you know, in other words, bump that up to a second, possibly, to to get Aaron Jones. Maybe. And essentially what happens is the the new team is going to sign him to a new contract almost instantly. They're going to give him an extension. So it, it kind of works out in the team's favor because part of the deal is now $8 million. So let's say you give him an extent, a three-year extension for four years total at, at $15 million a year. Well, that's three years at 15 and one year at eight. So it's a little bit of a discount, but you got to give up some draft capital for it. And again, I don't know if the Packers want to want to do that. I don't know if it's going to be worth it because they're going to get a compensatory pick. I mean, maybe even if it's a third, like let's say you get, uh, I don't know, some garbage team to cough up a third, then you get an early third as opposed to, you know, the way back of the third round. And it may not even be a third. It could end up being the way back of the fourth round. So a mid-third compared to a possibly back of the fourth, depending on how much he gets paid and all that, it might end up being worth it. And Aaron, from Aaron Jones' standpoint, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm sure it's not necessarily his preference, but when you tag somebody, they, they have veto power. 
So if we tag him and we try to trade him away to, uh, let's say, the Texans or somebody, and he looks at that and goes, ah, I don't think so, he can just cross that off and say, nope, I'm not going there. He has that ability. So it's not going to be the absolute worst thing for him. So it, I, I think of all the options, that one kind of makes the most sense. But again, it just seems kind of weird. I don't know that we're going to get a lot more compensation for it. And I still think there's going to be a dark cloud over that. But it is possible. And, and, and tagging him and hanging on to him also is possible. I just... I would be curious as to what the fallout from that is going to be. Um, you know, I mean, we could hear, I mean, something like that. How quickly is it going to be that Aaron Jones, they're going to ask him about it. He's always been extremely player centric. He's going to come out and say he doesn't like it. And then you're going to have article after article after article after article saying how this has damaged the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst just lost the locker room, whatever. This has caused toxicity, and you know. Not that any of that necessarily has to be real, but it's not great. And you don't always see this happen with uh, with tags, but you, you generally don't see a tag cut a player's cost in half. You might see a player that's worth, you know, let's say a tackle worth $22 million. We're going to tag him for 18 which I don't even think that's the, the right tag amount, but something to that effect. An edge rusher, a wide receiver, whatever. Instead of 20 you're getting 15 So you're getting cut by a quarter, and you're getting a one-year guaranteed contract. This is again. This is half. This is this is a big drop. So I don't know. Uh, it's an option. I still think if I had to put money down, they're just going to let him walk, um, and he's going to go sign elsewhere. As far as Jamal, um, maybe maybe they hang hang on to him. Uh, the fact that Jamal also fired his agent doesn't give me the impression that things went very well with the negotiations. It is strange, and I'll I'll agree with uh, your general assessment that it's it it's kind of strange that. They wouldn't let A.J. Dillon play last year, and then they're just going to dump the two guys that played ahead of him and just hand the ball to A.J. Dillon. And if this was always the plan, if, if the plan was we're, we're just going to move on, why not hand it over? But, but again, I guess it, why wouldn't you just hand it over? Because it's a trust thing. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. This isn't preseason. This isn't practice time. Practice time is over. We need the guys out here that we can trust. Next year, we have a new guy, and that's it, and he's our guy. We don't have the option of leaning on Aaron Jones anymore. That's just the way football works. And so it's sink or swim time for A.J. Dillon. But it's also going to be fantastic for him because all the energy is going to be poured into him. All the energy, all the resources, all the training, everything is going to be getting A.J. Dillon up to speed. Whereas when you have two starting running backs, you're not spending a lot of your time focusing on A.J. Dillon because he's not going to be playing that much. Every rep as far as running the ball, um, being a better receiver, a better pass blocker, all that just massive amounts of energy going into making A.J. Dillon a star. That starts the second this is finalized. The other option would be Corey Lindsley. Um, a lot of people have reached out about why don't we tag Corey Lindsley, possibly tag and trade Corey Lindsley, whatever the case may be. This one doesn't really make any sense to me. The biggest reason is, and, and I, I had somebody reach out and say that he had heard on the radio or something that to tag Corey Lindsley would be about $8 million. Um, I haven't seen that anywhere, and I don't believe that's the case. I believe the way that the tag works, and, and just so we understand, um, there is a certain dollar amount assigned to a position when you tag somebody. So there is a quarterback tag cost. There is a wide receiver tag cost. The strange one, though, is offensive line. Every resource I've read, there is no tackle, guard, or center tag. There is just an offensive line tag. And I think generally what that means is you can you can get a pretty good tag dollar on a really good tackle, 
but it's never really going to be that cost-effective to tag a guard or a center. Maybe a guard. We saw Scherf get tagged by Washington, I think, twice. Almost basically like three times if you consider a fifth-year option a tag. But I, I tend to think that that's just Washington being stupid. And that, that was an example of a team that planned on negotiating a long-term contract. And that's where you can get stuck. Um, so, so first of all, before we continue on, the tag for offensive line is $14.5 million. And as I said, and this isn't official, but I believe Track has Corey Lindsay's value at about $9 million. It makes zero sense to tag a guy that's worth $9 million to, instead of a long-term deal for $9 million a year or even $10 million a year, which, by the way, when you factor in, we pay Jimmy Graham $10 million a year. Yeah, I, I would pay Corey Lindsley $10 million without flinching. Um, also, I, because again, I could not find everything just said offensive line, every single resource I could find. I, I tried to find a center that was tagged to see if it kind of fit the, the paradigm of, was this a low number or a high number? There was a, a center, uh, Khalil, I think in 2011, if I'm remembering correctly, who was tagged that was in 2011. I think it was for $11 million. So there's no way the tag went down to eight. So I think the guy that reached out said it was the big show or something. I don't know if that's a radio guy. I'm not sure who that is, but I believe he's just flat out wrong about that. It's not $8 million. It's $8 million for Aaron Jones. It's $14.5 million for Corey Lindsley. Again, if I'm wrong, let me know. But not a single source anywhere has a center tag number. And I don't see anything in history that shows that centers get tagged for super cheap. They tend to have to pay a lot of money. Same with guard. The sheriff cost a bunch of money to tag. So in no way, uh, even a tag and trade doesn't make any sense because he's not worth that. Who's going to trade for Corey Lindsley if it's going to cost them $14.5 million? Because again, remember, when you trade, you're not just trading based on the player value, right? It's, it's not just, well, Corey Lindsley's worth a third-round pick. I'm going to give you a third-round pick. It's what is he worth minus what do I have to pay to get him here? So it's Corey Lindsley's value minus $14.5 million is how much left in draft capital. Um, negative. You owe me now. So that that just makes absolutely no sense. I think if we want to keep Corey Lindsley, we should pay Corey Lindsley. And and listen, maybe he's worth more. Maybe it's not nine. Maybe it's 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. But even if it's 15, which is getting into super crazy territory, and I would kind of doubt that, even if it were 15, you don't tag him, right? Just either pay him the 15 or don't. Tagging for 14 and a half doesn't make any sense. So it's worth considering, I suppose, with Aaron Jones for a couple different reasons, but only because it's such a low number. It's crazy. And so that, that does give you options. Um, if, you're not a, if you're not worried about the implication of it, and again, if the Packers really are determined we're going to hang on to this guy, where we want to keep him, there's your option right there. You slap a tag on him for $8 bucks, and he stays, and that's the end of the conversation. Now, he has to sign it. And that would be the absolute worst-case scenario is if Aaron Jones gets so mad he refuses to play because that's super toxic stuff. That's the kind of thing you never see in Green Bay, but you see all over the place. And, and a lot of times when, when teams try to tag a guy, that's becoming the norm now is for a player to say, I refuse to sign, you either release me, trade me, or let me go. That is some seriously toxic stuff that I don't want the Packers to be any part of. And again, we're going to see players on Green Bay, you know, on the Packers throw their support behind the running back against the Packers. That is super toxic stuff because he doesn't have to sign the tag. He has to, that that's part of it. You have to sign it and agree. Hey, we're going to pay you 8 million bucks to come back this year. What do you think, buddy? Here, sign your new contract. He has the right to say absolutely not. Absolutely. And, and I think that's smart. Again, if I got 15 million dollars waiting for me and and in half the league willing to pay me money, I'm not signing that. Absolutely not. 
Why should I? Well, if you don't sign it and, you know, there's a stalemate, then, you know, then you just don't play and you don't get paid. I might be willing to call the Packers bluff on that one. How, how far do you want to take this? Seriously, how far do you want to take this with me? Because all the players have, have my back in this. You're going to bury me like this? After all I've done for you, you're going to treat me like this? You're going to force me to take $8 million or no money for an entire year? That's what you're going to do? I just don't know if the Packers want to take it there. And again, they, they he just hired new hotshot Drew Rosenhaus as his agent. That's the number one player agent. Um, he knows the game better than anybody. And and if you think for a second he's not going to play that game to the full extent, I, I think you're mistaken. So it's very, very dangerous. And um, I would want to make sure definitively that, that this is going to work out. And there's no way that you call the agent and say, hey, if we tagged him, is he going to sign it? He's going to say no. Even if he would, I'm going to say no. No, give me a contract. You want me? I mean, let's be serious here. Would he agree to $8 million? You came to the table with 12 and we said no. Why would we say yes to eight? Absolutely not. I'm not signing that. Well, what about tag and trade? Absolutely not. I get my own money. I don't need your tag. So that's my concern. That would be the, the biggest negative in that whole realm is the massive toxic environment. And again, it's not always toxic, but usually we're talking about tagging a guy for, for about what he's worth. You know what I mean? If, if he's worth, you know, 15, you know, like in other words, a tag is, is a good amount of money. Let's say for Corey Lindsley. Let's just use that as an example. Corey Lindsley is going to walk because he wants $16 million. And we look at it and say, listen, 14 and a half is more than enough for your services. We're tagging you. You get over it. Well, I want 17. Well, yeah, that sucks. Sorry, dude. You're getting 14 and a half. You're one of the highest paid in the league right now. You're top five in the category, which, I mean, for center, it would be a lot higher, but it's just an example. You're going to be good. And, and everybody just kind of moves on. It's not what they want because they want long-term security, but generally a tag is a lot of money. A lot of times you're getting paid more than what you would, but we're just not going to let you be stubborn. Like, this is more than enough. You can sign and you'll get over it. And they're mad because they want the long-term contract, but they're also getting a massive, fully guaranteed contract, and they suck it up and they'll get over it. Stay healthy, play well, you'll get the big contract next year because tagging a second time is massively, massively expensive. And again, for Aaron Jones, though, I, I just think it's such a smack in the face that I just I don't know if it's worth it. I don't honestly know if it's an option. It may be such a negative, such a toxic option that it's not even worth trying it. But maybe they'll try it. I don't know. I, I Again, I have no experience with the Packers doing this kind of stuff. And we've seen, especially now, how players are starting to take things more into their own hands, right? Refusing to play for certain teams, just saying, I will not play there. And that just blows up the whole deal. Um, Antonio Brown just had everybody basically wrapped around his finger. You, I'll, I'm going to go where I want to go. Now, technically, he doesn't, you know, you get a bunch of, well, that's that's not how this works. So the, the team is in control. Okay, but it still has negative repercussions. We've seen teams hold their breath until they pass out, or players, I mean, right? I'll just hold my breath. I'll stop it. I'll, I'll, I'll just sit here until I black out, and they will. They'll just, they'll sit there, and they'll refuse to play along, and like, well, then you're not getting paid. Good. I don't want to get paid, and you're stupid. Trade me. Get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not playing for you. I'll play anywhere but here. You don't need that, man. It's, it's hard enough getting players to want to come to Green Bay, Wisconsin. You don't need that kind of negativity. We don't need what's going on with Detroit and Chicago where players are leaving saying, good, I can't wait to get out of here. I don't want to come back. They, they treat you like garbage there. $15 million player, they're trying to slap an $8 million tag on me? Are you serious? So, 
again, I, I'm still leaning toward they're not going to use a tag on anybody. It does make the most sense for Aaron Jones, but it's a super risky proposition. And again, I, I just I, I feel like we're in a good position. We don't need to risk it. You know, it, again, great question. Um, it does seem as though the Packers really want to retain them, but I, I just I think Brian Gutekunst did a great job. As much as everybody wants to get mad about the, you know, we wasted those picks. Nonsense. Anybody that said we wasted that draft or or in any way hints that Aaron AJ Dillon is a wasted pick because it was a future pick, don't you dare start cheering when that dude's rumbling all over the field. When he runs for 242 yards and three touchdowns, I don't want to hear a word out of your mouth. You just sit there, cross your arms in silence. I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, how is that even a future pick? He played as a rookie, and he's going to take over as the lead running back in year two. Again, just absolute absurdity. Wasted pick. Wasted what? Well, the first three picks. Nonsense! DeGuara got hurt! Anyways, I don't want to go down that realm again, but... I just I think he did a great job of of drafting, and it's going to put us in a really good spot. Um, we got to see how well it pans out, but I just I have a really hard time believing he's just going to be trash as as a running back. That would be super weird if he was a uh, you know a bad running back, but the one time he kind of came out as a starter, he just absolutely dominated. In fact, he was the better running back between him and Derrick Henry by a mile. You know, I don't know. I feel like we're going to be okay. Could be wrong, but I feel okay with this. Anyways, we got to take a break here. We'll come back. I had mentioned before what I wanted to start doing. I completely forgot it was a thing, was um, kind of looking at some draft stuff. That's what we're going to be doing today because the Green Bay Packers have had meetings with certain players. I want to look at who those players are and find out what we can find out about those particular guys. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So we've begun to hear about certain meetings with draft prospects. It's going to be kind of light this year because there's not going to be as many in-person meetings or, or any for that matter. And so we've got some sort of generic um, meetings that went on, for example, at the Senior Bowl. You'll see some of these guys met with all 32 teams because they were at the Senior Bowl, so they did all the interviews. But um, you'll also see some of them, it'll say something is, is, is a notable meeting with the Green Bay Packers. There are also uh, scheduled virtual meetings. So let's start with the Senior Bowl. Um, again, they met with all these guys. However, one guy in particular that they met with was a guy by the name of Dalen Hayes, an edge rusher out of Notre Dame. If we go to that particular source, we've got a tweet that says, Notre Dame edge rusher Dalen Hayes met with 31 teams formally at the Senior Bowl, noting that the Rams weren't present. Said he had great meetings in particular with the 49ers, Chargers, Dolphins, Raiders, Seahawks, Steelers, Falcons, Bills, and Packers. Now, that's a decent chunk of teams, but it is notable that they, you know, he pointed out the Packers are one of the teams he had a better meeting with. The reason that's particularly interesting is if you come down to the virtual meetings here, Dalen Hayes, uh, that same source, says Notre Dame edge rusher Dalen Hayes has recently met virtually with the Packers and Patriots. He has five more meetings coming up soon. Hayes was excellent at the Senior Bowl. So the Packers have met with him twice now. Apparently they had a very good meeting at the Senior Bowl. Dalen Hayes and the Packers were feeling each other, so to speak, and um, the Packers felt it necessary to schedule a virtual meeting with him as a follow-up meeting. Now, part of the reason that's interesting is one of the things I've been asking is, and again, you know, you like players who you like. It doesn't necessarily have to be a trend just because it's one guy. But one of the questions I had was, are we still looking for the bigger body edge rusher types like Zadarius and Rashawn and Preston, you know, 270, 280, that range, maybe 265, whatever. Or are we kind of looking for more of the Clay Matthewsy, quick, speedy, bend kind of guys? Dalen Hayes here, um, if I could figure out how to get this out of the way, is six foot four, 270 pounds. He is a big human being. He also has a lot of experience. He's one of the few players that has played five years in college football. You don't see that very often. It seems like the Packers possibly covet that a little bit. So it is nice to have a guy with a lot of experience, right? It's one of the things that I loved about um, Josiah DeGuara. He had five years of playing uh, college football in a similar scheme to what we saw um Matt LaFleur run. And so my automatic assumption is he's going to come in and play right away. And he did. And so there, there is a nice benefit to having a guy that you trust. How good he's going to be is one thing, but you're not going to have to teach him how to play football. In terms of his abilities, um, if you look at uh, what he's done over the years, he kind of had a breakout year in 2020. So he was pretty average across the board. Uh, if you look at 2016 through 2019, his run defense grades, 58, 63, 68, 61, right? Rated right about 60. 2020, an 81 overall. His pass rush grades, 57, 59, 70, 63, 78. So a really big breakout year. If you look at the statistics, he had 33, only three sacks. So again, most of the people looking at this, looking at the stats that they have available to them, tackles and sacks, are going to say, what's so special about this guy? three sacks, whoop-de-doo. In fact, he's never had more than three sacks. He's had nine sacks over five years. Why is that impressive? Again, this is a breakout year. He had 33 pressures on 233 attempts. So 233 attempts right there, again, when you just look at statistics, that's not a lot. He only had 433 snaps total. 
Now, you can start to question why he didn't play very much. That might be a question in and of itself. But for a guy that's had 1,700 snaps in five years, he doesn't have a ton of wear and tear on his body. That's not a lot at all. And so his his pressure rate, again, those numbers don't seem impressive, but that's 14%. 14% is not bad, especially for a 270-pound guy that did a great job stopping the run. Something else that's interesting is is it seems as though the first half of 2020, he kind of was on the same trajectory. His grade 62, 63, 58, 69, 59, and then he kind of broke out. He played against Georgia Tech, had a 94, played against Clemson, had a 76, fell off again with a 56. But then North Carolina, 72 grade, Syracuse, 79 grade, Clemson again, a 73 grade. And then Alabama finally had a 54.2 overall grade, kind of regressed a little bit. But Clemson is not a bad football team. So it's not like, well, he just broke out because he played like six good games against garbage teams. Not at all. These are good football teams. We're talking Georgia Tech, Clemson, Boston College, North Carolina, Syracuse, Clemson, and Alabama are the teams that he ended the season with. And that was sort of where this big breakout came. If you want to see him at his best, check out his game against Georgia Tech if you can find it. That's Dalen Hayes, D-A-E-L-I-N-H-A-Y-E-S against Georgia Tech. Very, very, very good game that he had there. If you want to see him as average, pretty much any, <laughs> pretty much any of his games. Um, Duke, USF, Florida State, Louisville, uh, Pittsburgh, whatever. But again, he is a guy that uh, the Packers have met with now twice. In terms of his value, um, I've got him sitting at about 125, so we're talking back at the third, early fourth round kind of a value. Now, with that said, it is worth noting, because again, what, what, you'll, what you saw last year with the Packers was everybody saying that the Packers overdrafted everybody. They took everybody way too early. There are some boards that have him sitting at about 76, 77 here, because again, this is just an aggregate board. Uh, 139, 124, 164, 143, whatever, but you've got two boards at 77 and 76. We're kind of looking early third, late second, and if the Packers were to follow the trend of he's a decent player but they took him too early, Dalen Hayes could be a late second-round pick that would just send Packers fans off into crazy land. The two boards that like him, by the way, ESPN which again uses some kind of a draft service as their board or whatever, and CBS. Um, some other virtual meetings that we've confirmed that the Packers have had, and obviously this is not necessarily comprehensive. This is just who's been able to be confirmed. Presumably somebody talking to prospects saying, who have you met with, and they list the Packers. Um, defensive tackle Alim McNeil out of NC State. Alim McNeil, I mean, th- this would get people real, real excited. He, he is a real big body guy. Um, six foot two, 320 pounds. He's a nose tackle at NC State. And um, he doesn't have, I mean, well, l- let me put it this way. He's played three years, so he doesn't have the, the experience in terms of years, but he's played nearly 1,400 snaps. Remember, Dalen Hayes has five years, 1,700. So again, Dalen Hayes does not have very much wear and tear in five years. Lynn McNeil is a, I mean, even, even at this, we're talking 400 snaps a season. You know, you look at NFL safeties are playing 1,200 snaps in one season. So but again, um, th- this is a different situation. This is not a breakout player. This is a guy who is a good football player that's gotten better um, every single year. So 2018, his first year, and again, consistency with the snaps, consistently getting better. He had a 72 overall grade in 2018, a 79 overall grade in 2019, and a 90.7 overall grade in 2020, his final year. Not surprisingly, his best attribute is his run defense because that's what you get him for, 92.1 overall grade. In terms of consistency, you know, all 90s are not created equal. Some guys have pretty bad grades but have, 
you know, like four elite games, and some guys are just consistently solid. He's pretty consistently solid and has some elite games. He had two games which you could consider, well, one that was considered bad, his game against Virginia um, week six. Otherwise, he's had two games in the 60s, everything else is 70s, 280s, and 290s. So, I mean, just consistency is key with a Lynn McNeil. There's not a lot of, of volatility here. He's just a good football player. It's a question of do you want him? Um, and I think every single Packer fan does. In fact, just get excited the fact that they're actually meeting with these guys because uh, prior to, don't see a lot of these 6'2", 320-pound guys. Now, again, we went out and got snacks because apparently they saw a need for it. The question is, are they going to replace him? This would be a Snacks Harrison replacement. In terms of his pressures, um, obviously they're going to be low. In general, these guys typically don't have a lot of pressures, the the true nose tackles. Um, 2018, he had 20 pressures on 245 attempts. That's about as close as he ever got to 10%. 18 out of 252 in 2019, and 12 pressures this past year out of 267. And again, if you're just looking at those stats without seeing the grades and everything else, um, you're looking at a guy that in 2018 had three sacks, in 2019 had seven sacks, in 2020 he had zero. So, again, if you're just looking at the flashy stats with no context, you're going to say, this guy's no good, I don't want him. The fact of the matter is, though, if you look at his pass rush grades, 70 in 2018, 80 in 2019, a 77 and a half, 77.5 in 2020, he actually had a higher grade this year. Nearly, It was closer to his grade in 2019 than 2018 when he had three. So apparently, and, and I think... The difference can be attributed to what I think ESPN calls win rate, right? Which is a a really good metric as well. I I like pressure percentage because it's the time how many times you pressure a quarterback dependent on how many opportunities you get. Win rate is kind of taking it a step further because there are sometimes you can beat the guy in front of you, but you don't get to the quarterback, and that could make sense when you're six foot two, three hundred and twenty pounds. If you're muscling guys out of the way but are not getting to the quarterback, then you know that they're going to grade you positively as a pass rusher, but they don't put anything in the stat column because you never got to the quarterback. But again, if you're going to go out and get an Olympic McNeil, it's not for pass rush. It's just not. He's a rotational player that you put out in in running situations. And and depending how good he is, he may stay out there. Right? Really good nose tackles are out there on first down. I mean, the only time they, they're going to really come off the field is probably, you know, very obvious passing situations, third and long, whatever. If you're a kind of a subpar player, then you're just coming out on goal line and those kinds of things. Um, a Lim McNeil right now I have at 89 overall. So again, kind of a third round prospect, uh, higher than Dalen Hayes. But again, there are boards that have him quite a bit higher. 79, 62, 63, 63. One board in particular has him at 46 overall. Not surprisingly, that's PFF, the, the site that gave him really good grades. So that would put him, you know, again, that's if he's 46 overall, he's not even going to make it to the Packers. So, again, it kind of comes down to what is what is the Packers' thought process here. And, and, and the reason I like this aggregate board is because it really just highlights the differences in potential thought. You know, we, we understand a player, he's a third-round prospect. Well, some people see him as an undrafted free agent. Some see him as a seventh, sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second. Like the, the, the divergent thought on most of these prospects is massive. So if, if the Packers take a, a third round guy in the second round, it's probably because they didn't see him as a third round guy. Just because Mel Kuyper says he's a third round guy doesn't mean he's a third round guy. It could just be Mel Kuyper's an idiot. Just saying. Maybe. Who knows? It could be a lot of different things. Maybe the Packers are stupid. I don't know. But the you know by default saying that these... 
uh, reporters are right and, and the Packers GM who makes a living evaluating talent. Remember, the best of the best of the best got a job as, as the uh, Raiders GM, Mike Mayock, and he's not at the top tier of, of GMs. If you're really, really good, you can get a shot at being a scout or a GM. In the hierarchy of things, there's GMs, there's scouts, and then there's the, the guys that are on television. The only caveat to that would be, you know, you make a lot more money on television than you would be a scout. So maybe they're, depending on who they are, kind of on that same tier. But generally speaking, nah. Finally, there was the uh, meeting with cornerback Asante Samuel, and a lot of Packer fans have started to get excited about Asante Samuel. In fact, I think a lot of Packer fans are excited about Alim McNeil as well, just you don't talk about him as much because he doesn't have that first or second round appeal. Asante Samuel does. He's sort of that mid-second round pick. Um, Some people would even say he's a first-round prospect. I have him at 44 overall, but he's as high as, let's see here, he's got to be higher than 44 somewhere, Uh, 23, 33, 34, and 30. Um, The 23 is Draft Tech, has him at 23 overall, but there are several that have him kind of back of the first round, right about where the Packers are picking. So it's not an impossible pick for the Packers in the first round to get Asante Samuel. And again, a lot of Packer fans really like this guy. So this list has got to be exciting for a lot of people. Dalen Hayes, maybe not as much, but I don't think anybody's anti-edge rusher, especially if we're talking fourth round. I don't think anybody's going to be mad about that. But uh, cornerback Asante Samuel is popular. Olim McNeil is popular. I've already talked about Samuel. He's a smaller guy, which is the one big concern is having two guys that are really small, not having that big-bodied uh, Kevin King type. But again, if you can play, you can play. And there's really nobody that Jair matches up against that you say, I don't know, that guy's really tall. I don't think he's going to be able to handle it. Jair shuts down everybody. It doesn't matter how tall you are. And Asante Samuel could possibly fall into that category. Very similar to Alim McNeil in terms of his grading. Um, not quite as drastic of an improvement over three years, but he's gotten better every year. 73, 77, and 82, basically, for rounding. Um, so you see that gradual growth. Um, the coverage grades 70 to 79 to 83. So again, that general growth. And his run defense is not bad. Um, pass rush, he has a low grade. Who cares? He almost never does it. Uh, tackling is mediocre, which is, I guess, fine. Uh, run defense in particular, though, is pretty high. So, I mean, everything about this feels like Jair. He's mostly a cover guy. He can handle his his abilities in, in run defense. Um, and when you have got a guy that just is five foot ten, 184 pounds, and has no issues seemingly in defending the run, you get a you get sort of a scrappy vibe out of him, right? Which again has sort of I mean, can you imagine having two Jairs on the team? And I'm not saying he's going to live up to that ability, but you know, even like a Jair and a Jair light, just that would be crazy, man. So again, I've, I've kind of covered him already. If we go over some general stats here, uh, NFL passer rating. Career NFL passer rating is 81.3, but again, the general progression, his first year 109, his second year 75, this past year a 46.2 passer rating when targeted, Um, 32 targets, only 19 were caught for just 179 yards on the whole season, only two games over 50 yards, none of them reached uh, 55, he gave up one touchdown in the final game of the season, had three interceptions and five pass breakups, so just an absolute monster this past year. So anyways, that's all I got for you. Uh, those are the three prospects that I am aware of so far. If you see any others, please send them my way. Um, I try to keep up on a lot of stuff, but anything you see, please feel free to send it my way. Any news, any even just garbage rumors, please send it my way so I can at least talk about how it's garbage. 
But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.